Moncrief with Energlaze on News Talk. So, if I said the name Tom Kapoor to you, what would that kind of what response would that kind of get? Hot. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know he was uh, he was there last night. Oh, that's exciting. <laughs> yeah. What? Oh my God! I know. I know. <gasps> No, tell me everything. I don't know. I don't. I mean, genuinely, I don't know. I mean, because I was quite drunk. But I do remember I kept asking him if he wanted to do it, like, while we were doing it. You do do that? Yeah. Will you see him again? Um, I don't know. He probably won't see him again. <laughs> Maybe I'll see him again. He is a famous actor, and you're a little rat nobody. Oh, that's so harsh, but it's true. Mm. But you know what? What's done is done. Like, he can't take it back. I am forever a stain on his sexual history. (laughs) Right, that's uh, Starstruck. You can uh, stream seasons one and two uh, right now on uh, Netflix. James Dempsey is with us uh, once again. Is this... Notting Hill. <laughs> um, like, I, I was so stupid that I didn't even dawn, that didn't even dawn on me as a, oh, such an obvious comparison until about 10 minutes ago, but kind of, right? <laughs> yes. It's like reverse Notting Hill uh, in that, but it is a romantic comedy sitcom, right? And yeah. it is about a woman named Jessie. She's played by Rose Matafeo, who is a Kiwi comedian who I guess rose to um, my first recognition when she was in a season of Taskmaster when it had its kind of breakthrough moment on Channel 4, but is a very, very, very successful stand-up in her own right and uh, has kind of, you know, charted the very standard course of leaving New Zealand, moved to London, made it big in Edinburgh, had an indie movie and now is like the star and writer of this very successful sitcom. Mm. And it is very successful internationally because it's streamed across the world by um, Max, which is whatever HBO version is at the moment. Uh, And it is, you know, it's critically acclaimed kind of everywhere. And she, in this season or in this show, she plays Jessie, who is this kind of um, scraping by expat living in London and she's working a few odd jobs one of which is in a kind of art house cinema and another is like a nanny although she's absolutely useless at both and she's out on New Year's Eve in the very first episode and bumps into this guy in a bar doesn't recognise him and has you know one night of passion that two seasons later (laughs) it's still going on right Um, and he is like in the world of the show he is this A-list movie star, Mm. right? Now, that is actually my only quibble with the show at all, is that they're kind of meet-cute in the very first episode. I don't understand what he's just doing in this random pub on uh, on New Year's Eve, if he is like, you know, I don't know. I can't think of a UK comparable, but... Yeah, but that's never explained then. uh, Not really, right? But, I mean, we see him going off and meeting his agent, who's played by Minnie Driver, and in a few seasons, like, there are movie premieres for him, and he's shooting a movie in Ireland at one point, etc., right? So he is, in within the world of the show, he is a big, big deal. And the romance is about what kind of happens if you're, uh, you know, if you're just Joseph, you're nobody and you, you, you end up in a romantic relationship with uh, somebody. Mm. And what are the various difficulties that will arise from that? Right. And it is as charming as it is funny. And it is really, really, really funny. And what's kind of remarkable, what's remarkable about it overall is actually, 
Like we've gone through this point now where um, since the arrival of streamers, like romantic comedies don't really come out in the cinema anymore, right? And like they kind of get relegated mm-hmm. to uh, streaming only. And there's been this kind of demotion of the romantic comedy as a sort of genre and a pushing towards serialised romantic comedy instead, right? Because we have had plenty of sitcoms. I mean, how many sitcoms are really are built on a premise of will they, won't they for like yeah, 10 yeah. seasons and eventually they would do, right? Mm. <laughs> Even if they were on a break, right? And basically um, here, it, it actually works very, very well because uh, the first season takes place across an entire year. You follow her from meeting him on New Year's Eve to kind of Christmas, I think it's or roughly around then in the first season, and they uh, meet and they kind of connect, and then uh, something happens, and of, like of course something happens because that's the nature of yeah. a romantic comedy. We need some peril to get in the way, and some you know characters at the side to do right and wrong, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But they keep they keep sort of bumping into each other across the year. So it kind of tells their story in this very, certainly in the first season anyway, in this very satisfying arc that kind of follows her journey across a whole year and how she feels as like an emigrant, you know, distant from her family, barely making it work in London, which is obviously a hugely expensive city where you need to be practically an A-list movie star yeah. <laughs> to, just to live have there, any yeah. kind of good quality of life. And, um, and, and and the kind of peril of the first season is is wrapped up very nicely and then we get a second season. And a third season is starting on BBC One or, well, whatever version of the BBC anyway, uh, next Monday night. Okay. So it has just arrived on Netflix and like if you're looking for a really charming, easy something uh, to build up in anticipation of a third season coming next week, this is the one for you. Yeah, and now I mean, she, and she was uh, uh, in that film, Baby Dumb, which was yeah. uh, was a great, uh, great wee film. Did she have enough? Had she generated enough star wattage <laughs> to go to someone and say, "I want to write this"? Uh, um, uh, well, okay, sitcom. so I I watched an interview that she did, uh, like a US chat show interview, in which she said she came up with the idea while flying home to New Zealand drunkenly on the plane. Though I think it was a bit, to be honest with you, yeah. Because in another article I read about it, she said that actually the genesis of this show came from um, friends. Of hers, other kind of Kiwi comedians that have a kind of community, I guess, in London. And many of them, uh, some of them are co-writers and co-creators of the show and some of them appear in the show as well, that they were out one night in London and they bumped into an unnamed A-list movie star and hung out with them for the whole night and they never ever saw him again. And right. she sort okay. of used this as the genesis for her idea. But I think she had had like... Rose shagged Hugh Grant. <laughs> something like that, yeah. right? <laughs> and and, uh, and she, I guess she had enough cachet from, you know, making it... Like she's a very, very successful stand-up in her own right, but has been like odd jobbing on TV for decades, even mm. as like, you know, I think she made her kind of TV debut in New, in New Zealand when she was 12 and has been doing kind of like press circuit in interviews for years and years in New Zealand and making a name for herself and rising up the ranks and look fair play to her she has you know uh, catapulted that to 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 this which is a big transatlantic global hit so good, okay. good for her good for her good for her. and so but so why is the third series going to be on BBC something oh it's originally sorry it's originally BBC it's a, it's a co-creation between the BBC HBO and I think it's TVNZ. I think that's what it's called. Mm. Um, and it, like they have, you know, uh, TVNZ and BBC get kind of first dibs on it. But then globally, it's all through ah, HBO. right. OK, right. OK, we'll move on to our second show of the day. Uh, this is called Wins a Prize for the Longest Title. Uh, last call when a serial killer stalked queer New York. Here's a clip. When Anthony disappeared, 
I didn't know what happened. There was no rectory for find your dead homo friend. In my life, people disappeared a lot. A lot. For several reasons, HIV and AIDS, domestic violence, just being murdered, John Doe. I think for almost two decades, we were looking for Anthony. Not all the time, but almost two decades of wondering why, where. Did he go home? Did everything work out? Did he get his life together? Did he get off drugs? Did he die of a virus? When did you find out that Anthony was murdered? When you sent me the text. I found out Anthony was murdered literally when you sent me the text. Wow. That's uh, all four episodes of that, by the way, are, are on Sky Documentary. What kind of time period is, is, is this set in or what is it describing? So it's, like? it's describing um, a serial killer mm. who was known as the last call killer, who was active, particularly with regard to this documentary, in the late, early 90s in okay. New York. And um, but this is a really excellent documentary, right? Like it is you know, I would consider it the absolute gold star of true crime storytelling. Okay. Because um, the thing about, obviously, all true crime is it is incredibly morbidly fascinating, right? Like, it is just part of human nature to be interested in odd things. Yeah. And, um, but oftentimes it's lurid, you know, mm-hmm. and it's it's like insensitive and it's really uh, distasteful and we still lap it up right yeah. and uh, this time around this comes from a book uh, you know by Elon Green and it's made by a, a director named Anthony Corona but also has on its like production team Liz Garbus and Dan Cogan who are big big names in documentary filmmaking and Charlize Theron somehow as well Okay, and it tells the story very much focused from like the victim's side rather than anything to do with the murder. Now, of course, there is a, you know, a hook in this, which is that it is about a serial killer. Mm. And we do ultimately learn the, you know, uh, there is a kind of gotcha moment uh, roughly at some point in the show, but they don't actually even name the serial killer until well into the right at the very end of the third episode of four. Okay. So, and, and, um, Although there are assumed to be more victims, they only focus on four and certainly in kind of the legal proceedings, they were certainly the only the ones in, in question. So we follow across the four episodes almost each one of the victims at different points in their life. And they're met, and we're introduced to their families who obviously, you know, I mean, it, look, it must be very, very difficult as a documentary filmmaker to convince the surviving families of a serial killing victim to yeah. to give an interview, let alone direct them towards a really heartfelt, interesting, thoughtful interview about the life of their, uh, you know, brother, father, son, etc. Right. And that's what we get here. We get these really thoughtful, insightful looks at at, at these different men who were all murdered, uh, whose names were um, Peter Anderson, Thomas Mulcahy, Anthony Marrero and Michael Sakara. And what's even very interesting is the whole kind of premise really of the, you know, a second hook really of this documentary is it's about how homophobia and police inaction effectively, you know, slowed down everything and made the case worse and made increased most likely the number of victims because of, because of a lack of police action mm. but they're all but the documentary filmmakers also get 
the detectives on you know in to to you know on screen as well offering their take and then you have input from various activist groups in New York at the time who are talking about the scene and about homophobia in general and the kinds of various different things and what's incredibly fascinating about it is the disparity between the four victims is just so interesting right from this totally like um sociological way right so the first one is a, you know is a closeted father Right, who's and it's his daughter that they're interviewing and who's talking about God, him. So the the family didn't know he was gay no. until he was murdered. You no. Know. And then the second victim is this sort of older man who had had um you know, who had had a secret romance with a college uh, friend for years and then had married and then divorced and married again. And then the third victim who we heard kind of in the clip there was like a sex worker and a drug addict, a Latino younger guy who mm. completely like didn't fit in with the rest of them in yeah. terms of like, you know, uh, uh, like identity. Yeah. And then the final guy, this guy named Michael Sakara, uh, it was this really well-known bon vivant in New York. And that kind of was this galvanizing point where he totally picked the wrong victim because suddenly people actually cared, if you get yes, me, right? Yeah. But it's just so interesting to hear their families talk and their friends talk about these four different men who all fulfill this kind of different archetype within the community, if you get me, at the time. And how this killer was able to sort of prey on various different weaknesses or whatever in order to succeed in, in what he was trying to do. It's, it's just incredibly well made. Really, really, like it seems like a bizarre adjective to say, tasteful. But yes. like, yeah, well, no, that's probably not because it's so easy to be distasteful. Right? And, and sensitive <clears throat> is probably a better word, is what yeah. I really mean to say. But, but, and yet, like, riveting and interesting and like thoughtful. So, yeah, good the, stuff. The, and each episode is. Does each episode just concentrate on one person? It kind of, really. So the, um, I would say maybe the uh, across the first three episodes, you're really telling the stories of the victims, mm. and then in the final episode, they're telling the story of how you know how the how the culprit was uh, unmasked and and the legal battle against him. Yeah, but it okay. then even interviews you know a childhood friend of or a college friend of his who talks about how. You know, she and her daughter had hung out with him one summer that, you know, he did one of these killings while they were looking, scouting colleges themselves and just how he was this normal guy, but obviously wasn't. Yeah. Crikey, that's ex- yeah, 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 it's yeah. really good. Honestly. Yeah, that, that is quite extraordinary. But but it's almost like it, from what your description, it's almost like a portrait of a community, really, Completely. and the various people in it, rather Absolutely. than and almost like the killer is a hook to bring. Definitely, definitely, and, and like, look, obviously, you have to tell the killer's part to it as well, right? You know, like, and there's no denying this guy, Richard Rogers, was his name, did terrible, terrible, terrible things. Mm. But it's not, and, and you know, we learn many of those lurid details, but not in a kind of uh, shock value way if you get me it's just like it's just great it's very yeah. well made okay right uh, we'll move on to our uh, third show of the the day uh, it's uh, Carlin Corbin's Harlan Corbin's <laughs> Harlan Corbin's shelter uh, I don't know why they always put his name in front of things yeah. does it really help because uh, it sounds like some place he lives anyway new episodes every Friday on Amazon <laughs> Prime Video here's a clip Dylan Shakes goes missing after his Little League game in 1995 don't people say his dad killed him yeah, the police considered him their number one suspect, but there was never really enough evidence to actually go through with an arrest. Where's his dad now? Nobody knows. He left Castleton right after. Okay, while it's definitely weird that two kids from the same town went missing, what does one have to do with the other? Well, that's the kicker. Dylan Shakes goes missing on September 8th. The same day Ashley went missing. 
Yeah. 27 years earlier. But okay, what do we think that means? That Dylan's dad took Ashley? Potentially a stretch, right? But potentially could be. I think we should be looking for connections between Dylan and Ashley. But how? There's nothing about Ashley online. No social media, anything. It's like she doesn't exist. We forgot to look in the most obvious place. Where is that? Her locker. Big explainy piece uh, uh, there. Uh, is a lot of it like this? Um, <laughs> yes. Right. So I like. I'm not that familiar with Harlan Coben's oeuvre beyond his name appearing in yeah. many things. And I think of his 14 standalone novels, Netflix has already adapted seven of them. Crikey. And there was a bidding war then for his um, series of books about a character named Myron Bolitar. Um, and then Amazon thought we need also need to get in on this action and they pitched and bid for the Mickey Bolitar series, which is about Myron's nephew. And it's a three series YA, YA-ish, I don't really know, okay. um, a series of books that they have now adapted. And I would say it's a little bit like Stranger Things, except if it wasn't about things that go bump in the night, it was more about gumshoe detectives going around trying to solve a mystery, right? Okay. And there's plenty. Oh my God, there are so many mysteries in this show to solve. Now, ultimately, I find it quite charming and at its at its it's at its best when it leaves it to its kind of central three characters there who are Mickey, uh, the much put upon um, uh, nephew of Myron Bolitar. Myron never appears because I guess he's going to be on a Netflix show that they announced last <laughs> October. But in, in this, but he's mentioned. And in this world, um, Mickey's father has just died in a car crash and his mother is in uh, care. So he's being raised by his aunt in New Jersey. He arrives in school. He's a new kid. And there's another pretty blonde girl who's also the new kid that day. I'm sorry I'm laughing, but often in these things that they have this horrific backstory and like this child arrives in a new town completely untraumatised by their previous experience. In fact, I'd like to solve some crime. Just you wait for it, right? So so, uh, there's this blonde girl and um, I mean, there are a few kind of jump, uh, you know, jumps, not jump scares, but like jump cuts that made me laugh unintentionally. I mean, Mm. she's at cheerleading tryouts and then she's rifling through her bag to rifle upon a handgun <laughs> that yeah. comes out of absolutely nowhere and the teachers are taking creepy pictures of her. Then there's a whole subplot involving Frenchie from Greece who's now a history teacher and introducing the Holocaust somehow and how that's going to come to bear, I'm not sure, but there's a subplot involving a, a train to Auschwitz and butterflies and it's all just um, plot, 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 plot. And yeah. sometimes it is absolutely silly. Like, I mean, in this, you know, that scene there, they eventually use the CCTV <laughs> to uh, trace uh, her or her whereabouts and eventually they have to um, see what made her look so uncomfortable in a selfie <laughs> and when they actually reveal what what she was looking at it was not meant to be comically hilarious but it was now I, there are going to be, I think, eight episodes, eight hour long episodes of this and it, I, I feel like they have packed it with so much plot that they've thrown so many ju- you know balls up in the air I don't know quite if they'll be able to juggle it but when we have Mickey and his like two friends, Ema and Spoon, uh, doing their kind of uh, Stranger Things, young people, uh, you know, uh, high school detective work, it's very, very charming. And the mm. interplay of and the chemistry between the young cast is excellent. Is that enough to make uh, me go the distance on it? The jury is out on that one. But when the next episode is out on Friday, I'll probably give it a go. Yeah. It's funny Amazon keep doing this, that they kind of... They 
try to emulate the other streamers and then they <laughs> don't quite get it right. They don't quite get it right. But what they have as a huge advantage over the others or over Netflix anyway uh, is they have a whole retail department behind them, right? So when they get it right, <laughs> like yeah. in theory, they can immediately push you towards buying, you know, all of Harlan Coben's novels on Kindle or a box set or whatever and merchandise. Like that's, that's actually where Netflix is falling back. Disney just owns childhood yes basically yeah and apple owns well not all technology but a lot of it yeah netflix is kind of banking on content and it's you know it's up and down no it is up and down but i can't think off the top of my like what was there a surefire hit that's come out of amazon no and not even you know i mean they spent like a billion dollars on lord of the rings yeah it was okay okay. yeah (laughs) yeah Right, uh, those three uh, shows James is telling us about today. Starstruck, he can stream season one and two on Netflix right now. Last Call, when a serial killer stalked Queer New York, he can stream all four episodes now on Sky Documentary. I assume you can get that on Now TV as well. And uh, Harlan Corbin's Shelter, new episodes every Friday on Amazon uh, Prime uh, Video. Uh, James Dempsey, thanks a million as ever. Moncrief, weekdays at 2pm. With Anna Glaze. On News Talk.